Factories are an investment into product. Advertising is an investment into brand. Both are on the balance sheet as assets, although they are treated differently. So why are they dealt with differently when it comes to investment? Hi, I'm Ian Whitaker. As an analyst, I've been invited by JC Deco to bring to you key pieces of macroeconomic research and insight that gives senior marketeers the guidance and practical advice on how to plan marketing strategies to become change agents in your organization. Today, we're discussing some of the account practices around ad spend, and I'm delighted to, again, be interviewing Sam Tomlinson, PwC's media sector leader and founder of their multi-award winning marketing and media assurance team. Welcome back, Sam. This is the second time we chatted our, our, on the podcast. And I think this is, this is actually a topic that actually is quite important. I realize for many of the audience, they may be thinking, oh no, it's about accounting. Let's sort of dash out of the room. But, but, but actually this is crucial when it comes to sort of both in terms of the way that advertising spend is framed within an organization and also as well getting the buy-in sort of, of key management uh, members, including the CFO and also as well the board I I in general. One of the things I'd written about in the pause of play report was to say that advertising should be treated as intangible capex, that essentially it is just as you invest in a factory to build a particular product that drives sales. So also as well, when it comes to brand advertising in particular, firms invest in that in order to produce long-term sales. But obviously from an accounting standpoint, there are different ways in which uh, the two are, are treated. So you've been a great accountant <laughs> and obviously having a, a lot of experience in this area, I thought I would turn to an expert to, to go through this. So maybe for the help of, uh, of the audience, would you just explain the differences between, I guess, first of all, in terms of how advertising spend is treated, yeah, both in terms of the balance sheet and then also as well when it goes through the profit loss account. And then maybe also as well talk about the differences between OPEX and CAPEX and, and sort of, of where the key differences lie. Yeah. So let, let, let's start with OPEX versus CAPEX yeah. or operating expenditure versus capital expenditure. Um, operating expenditure is those costs that are reflected within your operating profit. Um, and that means that you broadly, you recognize those costs in the year in which they're incurred. Mm. Capital expenditure is those items that are deferred to the balance sheet, either as a tangible asset, like mm -hmm. a factory, or an intangible asset, like uh, some sort of intellectual property. Mm -hmm. And that is then, if it's, a, if it's a tangible asset, it is depreciated over a number of mm -hmm. years. If it's an intangible asset, it's amortized over a number of years. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the important things here is, is that the analyst and investor community when they are looking at a business's results, they often focus on measures of profit that exclude depreciation and amortization. So mm -hmm. a classic one would be EBITDA, earnings before interest tax, depreciation mm -hmm. and amortization. Um, and what that would mean is that if your costs have been treated as OPEX, mm -hmm. your EBITDA will be lower. If they've been treated as depreciation or amortization, your EBITDA will be better mm -hmm. because it excludes those amounts. And those amounts are spread over a number of years, mm -hmm. which gives you a, a further benefit, even with your statutory mm -hmm. operating profit. Um, the reason people focus on EBITDA is it, it's it's used as a crude proxy for cash flow within the year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And you know, going on that point in terms of the the OPEX uh, and the need for many firms, they look at EBITDA as a key metric. This, of course, when it comes to advertising, does create an incentive for many companies' managements 
to if they need to protect profitability or boost profitability to look at advertising spend as an area to cut just because of the way that it that it's treated. Ideally, what a CFO would like to do is to capitalize this type of expenditure as an intangible. Mm -hmm. The definition of an intangible is an identifiable non-monetary asset without physical substance that is either separable or controlled through contractual and legal rights. Mm -hmm. Now, on the face of it, brands would satisfy that nature of, of, of an intangible. The problem is that the relevant accounting standard, IAS 38, mm -hmm. also goes on to say that you can only capitalize an asset if you can reliably measure its cost. Mm. And the challenge here within, and it then specifically says, you cannot capitalize an internally generated brand. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is that the there's a lot of factors that go into building your brand. Mm -hmm. It's not just your marketing spend. Yeah. The standard setters have determined that it's very hard to understand what aspects of the spend have contributed to the cost of building that brand. Therefore, expense the lot. Yeah. The only time that changes is when a company acquires another company. Mm -hmm. When a company A acquires company B, the brand is then separated out and capitalized as an intangible mm -hmm. and amortized over a number of years. Mm -hmm. So when you look at a balance sheet, the first thing to think about is if I see a brand, that's because this company has acquired another one. Yeah. If the brand's been generated internally, it won't be on the balance sheet. Mm -hmm. What that then means is that therefore, all of your brand marketing expenditure and all of your performance marketing expenditure has to be expensed in the period in which it's incurred. And that, I think, has causes two problems for, for CFOs. Mm -hmm. the, um, the first is, since it can't be capitalized, they're kind of inherently suspicious about, is there really a long-term benefit here? Why aren't I allowed to capitalize it? Um, and, then, and then the second, more prosaically, is, I need to hit my target this year. Mm -hmm. All of my marketing spend is going through my profit and loss as an operating cost in this year. Mm -hmm. That's one of the few levers that I've got that I can cut back to hit my profit target. Mm -hmm. In contrast, a lot of my tech spend mm -hmm. is being capitalized. So that's not going to help solve my problem this year. Mm -hmm. It's a fundamental difference between tech cost and marketing cost. And it's amazing actually in terms of the incentives, as it were, how the incentives are built into the system how that much influences behavior as to what actually look at. It's not necessarily, and I know this from my own experience uh, and completely sort of know what you're here talking about because you, when sort of companies are looking to meet targets, yeah, there is a lot of pressure from, from investors and shareholders to say, if you don't meet this target, this is negative against your share price, this is negative against, against the management uh, uh, and so forth. I mean, we'll come on in a moment just to, to what potentially advertisers, marketeers can do to, to maybe mitigate some of those sort of, of some of those issues. I guess one quick question I would have, and I, I already think I know the answer to this, but yeah, I'd like it confirmed by an expert, is you know, one obvious question would be, would there be any ch chances of any sort of, of talk about the accounting standards being changed to at least sort of for brand advertising, sort of think about it more as an investment rather than necessarily a, a operational expenditure? It's a really good question. Yeah. Um, and you can kind of see that the accounting rules were the accounting rules were developed mm -hmm. really with a mindset of of physical factories, physical goods. Therefore, we capitalize that because that's real. We put that on the balance mm -hmm. sheet. You know, in today's world, we're actually virtually all of the most valuable companies in the world today don't have factories. 
you know, yeah. they've mostly outsourced. Yeah. To the extent they even have hardware, they've mostly outsourced the actual mm. bit of hardware build. You know, the most valuable companies today are built off intellectual property. Mm. Um, but that's not how the accounting standards are today. And to the best of my knowledge, that's not how they're going to change in the near future. Mm. So I think we are left with a world where we all know marketing spend and advertising spend has long-term value. Mm -hmm. We can't capitalize that under the current accounting rules. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we need to think about other ways of conveying to analysts and investors the, the long-term value that is, uh, that is the return from that spend. Yeah. And I, I realize for many of the listeners that may be listening to this and thinking, well, that's great about the accounting standards. But I think we can both agree on this point that you know, unless you understand the incentives and the processes that actually underlie a firm's decisions, you, know, you may think that you actually have something which is a, a very solid argument, but actually unlikely to get anywhere with this. So you know, with that in mind, what, what can advertisers and marketers do in order when it comes to that conversation, you know, with the CFOs, with the boards, you know, potentially in situations as well, like with now, there's a lot of, of supply cost pressure, yeah, input costs obviously going up with inflation and so forth. There may be a temptation that comes through from, from companies to think, where can we actually look to cut spend and advertising? As we've talked about, yeah, it's a way to actually meet your, your targets. Also as well, it's something that we can come back quickly. What would be the sort of tools that advertisers and marketers can use to persuade boards and, and company managements, look, this actually is a long-term investment. This is why we need to continue to do this. Yeah, great question. Um, I would tend to think of this in two stages. Mm -hmm. I think step one is convincing your CFO that your investment in marketing has genuine long-term value as well as providing short-term benefits mm -hmm. on, on that year's sale. So step one is convincing your CFO and the rest of the board. Mm -hmm. Then step two is arming your CFO and CEO and head of investor relations mm -hmm. with the information, the arguments, the data points that they need to convey that message to the investor and analyst mm -hmm. community. Um, so, so maybe, maybe we, if so, let's just we start with convincing the CFO yeah. first. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so uh, we talked a bit in our previous quad podcast about econometric modeling. Mm -hmm. Now, econometric modeling is effectively a way of understanding the drivers of demand mm -hmm for your products and services. Mm -hmm. um, and it's built off, you know, rigorous mathematical and statistical techniques. Mm -hmm. That is stuff that a CFO can probably get on board with. Mm -hmm. um, one of the keys here in our experience is, is ensuring that econometric modeling is not owned solely by the marketing team. Mm -hmm. Internally, if your econometric modeling is owned by the marketing team yeah. and it comes back saying marketing is great, everyone else rolls their eyes. Yeah. If you have it owned by somebody in finance, or somebody in procurement, or potentially jointly owned mm -hmm. so that it is genuinely joint input from finance, procurement, marketing, strategy, mm -hmm. other stakeholders, then um, uh, then the results will be more readily accepted mm -hmm. um, by, by your internal stakeholders, particularly the CFO. Yeah. The CFO then can start to recognize, okay, I've got some rigorous mathematical statistical modeling. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's by somebody I trust. Um, it's been jointly owned and funded by the organization. Mm -hmm. And it is showing me that sure enough, my marketing has a short-term and a long-term benefit. Mm -hmm. And therefore, if I don't invest in marketing, or if I only invest in 
short-term performance marketing, mm -hmm. that will have a detrimental effect on my sales over the next two to five years. Um, and assuming the CFO intends to be enrolled for that long, yeah. that will cause him a problem in the future. Yeah. So, so that, that's getting the CFO on board. Okay. I, and there's one that's a very interesting sort of, uh, of answer because there's a couple of other questions that come from that. Sort of, and one that uh, sort of immediately springs to mind is we we work with financial models sort of all the time, and one of the things I always find quite frustrating is this whole idea that you hear from people outside. Well, well, the model says this, and and sort of, you know, we say, well, it's not really sort of the model that counts; it's actually the inputs into the model that that really are the critical point here. So maybe sort of if we could talk a little bit sort of about that, the importance really really of the quality of the data how it's framed so that, and how to deliver the best results. Yeah, model structure and model data. So uh, econometric modeling done well needs to start with an understanding of what are the different factors that drive um, demand mm -hmm. for your products and services. And that partly is marketing, but it also includes macroeconomic conditions, um, regulatory environment, mm -hmm. competitor activity, um, sponsorship, price mm -hmm. promotions, as you know, all of that needs to be included as well as your advertising. Mm -hmm. You need to understand the sort of the consumer journey. Mm -hmm. So thinking through how does your consumer, you know, how do they generate the awareness? How do you build that awareness? Mm -hmm. What are the different paths to um, purchase? And then you've got to make sure that the data sets that reflect each of them are complete and accurate. And you, you do need to think really hard about what data you can gather. How accurate is it? What's its frequency? What's its granularity? Does it need cleansing? Um, you know, the actual application of the econometric algorithms yeah. is only a small fraction of the the end-to-end -end yeah. project, if you like. Yeah, and I think that sometimes does get missed in the sort of in the wash. Here is uh, exactly sort of the importance there of all the other steps that need to be taken taken on. That I mean, one of the theme that is sort of explored in this series is. The need also as well for advertisers and marketers to speak the language of the CFO, that you know, speak the language of board. And it, it can be somewhat sort of, uh, it can be as though sort of the two sides are speaking entirely different languages and it can be difficult to to explain. I mean, there's been plenty of, of work done, particularly by the FT and the IPA, talking about how brands, or rather boards rather, fundamentally get the importance of brands, but where they struggle on is actually seeing, as it were, the, the quantitative evidence for that. And part of that seems to be around the fact that for advertisers and marketeers aren't necessarily speaking the language of what boards are, are used to hearing. Are there any thoughts on there sort of from what sort of, of any tips or suggestions that you could give in terms of, of to advertisers and marketeers? Yeah, so, we, so we, I talked a minute ago about Econometric modeling, exactly. sh showing long and short-term effects. Mm -hmm. That's really important. Um, even once your CFO is convinced, they need to be able to convince the investor and analyst community. Mm -hmm. And that community typically talks in terms of things like um, discounted cash flows, net present value. You know, mm -hmm. They want to understand the what does having a stronger brand actually mean? Mm -hmm. um, and actually, this then should play to the strength of the marketeer because if the marketeer can show invest now, mm -hmm. this year, next year in our brand, that will improve, um, that will provide a long-term benefit mm -hmm. by increasing our base sales. Mm -hmm. You can then start to 
extrapolate that out, take it out to perpetuity, yep. discount back to present value. You, you then got like a 20 year return on your yep. marketing spend, not just an in year return on yeah. your marketing spend. So provided marketeers can get comfortable with things like DCFs, NPVs, mm -hmm. time value of money, um, it actually opens up a chance to show much greater returns mm -hmm. than you would otherwise see. And this is, this is going back to this point. I mean, often ROI gets mentioned as the yeah mm -hmm. the metric and seems to be the only metric yeah. that is discussed. But but you and I coming from a a sort of, of financial background, so sort of we tend to look at these things in a slightly different different way. And and maybe could just discuss that for a moment in terms of where. The areas where ROI might be more appropriate and the areas where DCF or net present value may be a bit sort of appropriate. And maybe I think for discounted cash flow, net present value, maybe sort of people don't sort of realize that not everyone's going to be sort of au fait with some of the, some of the terms. So maybe a, a brief outline there of what exactly sort of, of that particular model is. But maybe you start off on the ROI. Where my view on the ROI model is it's probably most suited to an activation style spend where it's very short term it's very like this is what you want to deliver right now yeah so so i, I would agree you know roi is broadly if i spend a hundred pounds on advertising this month what will my sales go up by that's my return on investment except it isn't quite because your return on investment is actually your profit on those sales mm. not the actual sales value themselves mm. which is something that's also often missed so uh you know roi really should be the profits I will generate mm -hmm. in the short term from effectively performance marketing. Yeah. To the, with a caveat yeah, that we, we all yeah. know, yeah, <laughs> separating performance from brand marketing, if it's done well, it has, you know, halo effects in both directions. Yeah. But yeah, ROI is short-term profits on, you know, performance marketing activities. Okay. And, and with the discounted cash flow model, just a, it's a time value of money. It's talking about long-term investment. It's really discounting those cash flows back take into account and it's the, yeah, a pound now is worth more than a pound in the future just because of the time value and money and so forth. But it, it's more suited as a metric really for valuing brand advertising just simply because it takes into account the longevity of the of the, the brand nature. Yeah, that, 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 that's exactly right. You know, typically when you're valuing a brand or a business, you would look at um, future cash flows. Mm -hmm. you know, typically you would model your sales or your revenues over the next, let's say, three to five years. Mm -hmm. You would also model the costs, both your operating costs and your capital expenditure, because that is a cash cost too. Yeah. So, so you'd map out your sales over the next five years, your OPEX and your CAPEX over the next five years. Mm -hmm. That gives you your profit. Then you recognize that actually your business will hopefully be going for much longer than three yeah. to five years. So you take those cash flows out to what's called perpetuity, but you know, mm -hmm. in practice, it's over 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, and then to your point, you need to recognize that a pound tomorrow isn't as worth as much of a, as a pound today because of the effects of interest rates and inflation mm -hmm. um, you know, and certainty. Yeah. You want money now more than you want it, the more than you want the same everyone, amount of money. Everyone's that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We want money now. Um, and, and therefore what you do is you discount those cash flows back to what they are worth today and typically what you find is is that that 20 year time horizon any profit that would accrue from after that by the time you've discounted it back today it's basically worthless yeah and and, and so you're basically looking at three to five years of actual cash flows mm -hmm. extrapolate out to 20 
discount back to present value. That is what your business or your brand is worth today. And that then really plays to uh, brand marketing. Yeah. Because that brand marketing, you will receive the benefits over many years, not in the current period. Yeah. And, and intuitively, it all makes sense, sort of in terms of how we look at, at brand advertising and so forth. So when when I actually look at sort of, of, I guess in summary, when we look at sort of, of all of this, actually advertisers and marketeers do, there are a number of tools they have there to help persuade boards and managements to really continue sort of investing in, in advertising and marketing, even when temptation sort of, of is to cut it off. I guess also as well, one of the facts, and we, we touched on it in, in previous questions as well, is I guess one question would be the importance of continuing with ad spend even in times of recession. Because again, this is, yeah, going back to that point before, yeah, it, temptation is very easy just side to cut and say it's an easy way to actually keep profitability up. But I think we we can both agree that that's probably not the best, the best attitude, especially with brand advertising. Yeah, I think that's, that's a great point. Um, I guess, you know, what are the tools we've touched on so far? It's econometrics, it's the right language, and it's understanding the psychology of the CFO that um, they have a profit target to hit that year. Mm -hmm. And a lot of their spend is either fixed or it is capitalized if it's tech. And therefore marketing is a natural lever. It's it's not malicious. It's just, it's a natural lever mm -hmm. to pull because it's one of the few levers. Um, when times are tough, particularly when they're macroeconomically tough for everyone, mm -hmm. Yeah, clearly advertising and marketing will come under pressure. Um, we saw this during the first COVID lockdown. Mm -hmm. um, the really smart brands actually continued spending. Some of them ramped up their spending mm -hmm. during that first lockdown period um, because the really smart brands recognized that demand for advertising will be low mm -hmm. because everyone else is trying to conserve cash. Yeah. The laws of supply and demand therefore mean that advertising will be really cheap mm -hmm. because nobody else is demanding. That's then reinforced by the fact that right now everyone's stuck at home in front of their TV. Yeah. So you know, TV advertising in particular was the cheapest it's ever been. Um, you know, roughly speaking, in the first lockdown, you had um, audiences were up about twenty percent. Mm -hmm. I think demand for advertising down fifty percent. Right. That's a seventy percent yeah. price benefit. The most sophisticated advertisers took full advantage of that. Mm -hmm. And and typically these were brands like, for example, advertisers like um, the big consumer packaged goods mm -hmm. groups. Because CPGs, literally they're selling their brand. Mm. You know, they are selling their brand. So they've always known how important brand advertising is. Yeah. So, so they doubled down on their advertising in many cases. They certainly didn't look to drastically cut mm. it. Um, and if other advertisers can start to adopt some of that mindset, mm -hmm. you know, it is an investment. It will pay off yeah. in the medium term. And if others are cutting, that's a really good time for me to be spending. Right. That will really help those brands that, that hold their nerve. I think that's a really, really great point to end on, sort of, of with that. And I, I think yeah, the key message here is that for advertisers and marketers, I wouldn't say don't despair. Maybe that's too... <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but but it is to say that actually, yeah, there are a lot of things there that you can use to actually push your case to, to CFO and boards. I think it's important also to say, as well to say that many cases, those boards will be receptive. Uh, yeah. 
Absolutely. So yeah. thanks very much for that, Sam. That was absolutely superb. I'm sure there's going to be sort of plenty of questions people have. And, and sort of, if you don't mind people contacting you just in case, your email is sam.tomlinson at pwc.com. So please, you know, people feel free uh, sort of if they need to. And again, thanks very much, Sam. We hope you enjoyed listening and wherever you get your podcasts, don't forget to subscribe, like and share. For further resources, downloadable slides and more information on all the topics covered in our podcasts, visit changemakers.jcdeco.co.uk. You'll also find my short e-learning series there on how to speak the language of the CFO on the JCDeco Digital Academy. Thanks for joining and see you next time.